are down here at Raptors practice. Once again, joining the show, Garrett Temple. Appreciate your time. Um, yeah, how was the break for you? We, we, saw you, we saw you pop up at uh, Dennis's little birthday party. Yeah, man. You know, the family, uh, my kids, Dennis's kids, uh, Junior turning five. So that was great uh, to be able to be around, around them. Obviously, Dennis is my guy, so it was great to see him again. Um, we'll see him again tomorrow, obviously. I'll probably holler at him tonight. But uh, the break was great, man. Much needed. It was my first time in a, probably the last six years not going to All-Star, at least okay. for a day or two, uh, being on, on the executive committee and having to attend those meetings. So just doing it virtually was, was nice. We went to Dominican Republic, uh, my wife, my kids. Um, and Jama was actually at the same resort. Yeah, no. As us, so with his kids and his planned? wife. So that was great. No, it wasn't planned, but okay. I found out after booking that a lot of people were going to DR, and and uh, and Java and I ended up at the same resort. Very kid friendly. It was it was a great great time. Great that, time. That's awesome, man. That's a it's, it's a better story than my break. So we're not going to talk about what <laughs> I did on my break. Right. Um, okay. So I wanted to chat, you know, a, a bit about the Raptors, um, but mostly I actually wanted to talk about. It's Black History Month. Really wanted to get into your family history, right? And it's a story that you've told a few times, but I would love to to, to have the Toronto audience also understand sort of your background, your history. It's 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 very storied. But actually, just a quick question because I was chatting with both Masai and then Bobby, you know, just uh, earlier, and I told them I was going to interview you, and I was asking them the question like, you know, whenever you want to hang it up, whenever you're done, do you want to go front office? Do you want to go in coaching? Like, what do you want to do? Do you still want to be in the game? And, and if so, like, what do you want to do? Because it feels like they were both confident you, you can do either one. Yeah, I, uh, I'll answer that question first. It's, uh, it's definitely something that's been on my mind, something that I, uh, you know, I think uh, I'll have, you know, a few opportunities, a couple of opportunities either way. Um, I want to stay. I do want to stay around the game in some some capacity. I think that'll be great. You know, my son loves basketball. Family loves loves basketball. The only downside is the travel. You know, it's, it's having a family. It's, it's not easy on a family on a marriage. Um, so it, that that's something I'm, I'm gonna discuss with my wife and my kids. But it's definitely something I've thought about doing. Something I've researched. I've talked to you know former players that have gone into the front office. Former players that have become coaches. And just see their their mindset and um, and see if our values align and, and and how how that will work. So it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Front office or coaching? It's really either one. Yeah. Well, I mean, those two are both confident you can do either one, and I think that that speaks to the time and the 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 history that you put into the game. So um, speaking about history again, because it's Black History Month, really wanted to talk about just your family history in particular, and I wanted to start with your grandfather. All right, call us. Um, I think. Well, I want you to tell this story about sort of him going to LSU and ultimately being denied to uh, go into the master's program um, and sort of the history there. Because it's three generations of you guys yeah. at LSU now. Yeah, it's actually – so I'll have to, you know, correct that. Okay. Him trying to go to LSU. So okay, he okay, went to right. – my grandfather, Collis Temple Sr., went to Southern University, which is the HBCU, the historically black college mm-hmm. in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, in 1930, I want to say is when he attended there and, uh, he tried to get a, he got his degree in agriculture and he tried to go get his master's in the, uh, late forties. Okay. Uh, he tried to attend LSU when he was 30 something years old, late twenties, early thirties and LSU denied him because he was black and Thurgood Marshall had a lawsuit, uh, against a, a, uh, a few of the 
um, public universities in the South mm. uh, that were denying people entrance because of the color of their skin. Uh, my grandfather got wind of it. He was about to, uh, I guess, maybe add LSU to the lawsuit. And I don't know how, but the Louisiana legislature found out and they approached my grandfather and told him, um, we'll, be able, we'll pay for you to, we'll create some, some type of grant mm -hmm. to pay for your uh, master's degree just as long as you don't put LSU into the wow in, into this lawsuit and um and my grandfather at, at that time had four kids my dad is the youngest of six he's the only boy so my dad wasn't born yet and then um my grandfather decided okay you know what Michigan State has a great program that I, I I'd love to go to so he started going in the summers up to Michigan State and his school was paid for um and by the time my dad got to age three or four, early 50s, my grandfather had finished. And he, my dad remembers going to Michigan State to watch my, my grandfather walk across the stage and get his master's degree. Wow. Um, so that's his story, which is a, an amazing backdrop to my dad's story of becoming a, you know, his senior year going to school with white people for the first time in his life. Right. Okay. Um, okay. As a senior in high school. Right. And this and is in the South. This is in the South, in yeah. Kenwood, Louisiana. Yeah. Um, so he was, you know, 16 years old, starting school, 16, 17, first time in his life going to school with white people. If anybody has ever seen the movie Remember the Titans, yeah, yeah. he played football and basketball, the football team. You know, you start off workouts before school starts, and and they were able to create a bond. He played uh, – he starred on the football team. They went undefeated, and – uh -huh. and yeah, yeah. won the state championship, just like the movie. Okay, um, so hold on, hold on, because I read the story, and then I was like, I realized I never watched Remember the Titans. Uh -huh. So I actually, last night, <laughs> I took the time out to, to watch the film yeah. just to make sure that, you know, we we're on the same level. So who, who, was, who, was your, who was your dad supposed to be, or who's, which character was your dad based off of? No, he wasn't film? based off, so oh, the okay, film okay. isn't based off my dad's okay. team. The film is based off a team in Virginia. Okay, But okay, my gotcha. dad, when he first watched the movie, yeah. he said... This is basically This what is exactly how my senior year was. Okay. And um and this I mean, you know, there was cuz he went to an all black school up until his junior in high school, so they had a great team. Mm -hmm. And they had great athletes at the white school as well. And mm -hmm. it just so happened that uh Britney Spears her dad was the star quarterback. Wow. So it's a they, small world. Man. Yeah, very small world. They actually had their I want to say 50-year reunion. Uh, -huh. uh, two years ago. Um, okay. But they won a state championship, and and uh, and my grandfather had the forethought of understanding what my dad going to LSU would mean to mm -hmm. African Americans in and in Louisiana, but also in the South. So when the governor, then this is the crazy part. You know, it wasn't the head coach that recruited my dad, or even the athletic director. It was the governor of the state. Wow. That recruited my dad to come play at LSU. And uh, I guess they probably thought they had to, you know, put their best foot forward once since they denied my grandfather. And uh and my grandfather you know, at least you guys were old. Yeah, man. he put his ego aside and um and he he understood uh how like I said how much this would mean to to people that look like us. Mm. And my he he figured he felt like my dad was ready. He had been raised right. And uh my dad went there and he was it wasn't easy for him. He would tell a lot ask. of stories. Yeah. yeah. He'll tell a lot of stories about the times he wanted to go back home. He grew up about an hour and a half from from LSU's campus. And um the guy named David Duke, who was at one point the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, 
Yep. They uh they had a couple of run-ins, you know, um, verbal run-ins with each other on campus. David Duke was a junior, my dad was a freshman, so when you say that, it's like a debate club kind of thing? Or Not debate it, club. Oh, no, they had, up on each other. So they had something called Free Speech Free Speech Alley. Okay. At on campus. And uh it was right near the union. And people used to just talk about, you know, talk about things. Okay. Especially in the seventies, it was a really, a really a lot of lots to talk about and people really had uh their their opposing views on certain things, obviously. And my dad was six eight with a big afro, mm. you know. Uh was very proud of who he was as a black man. And right. um obviously that may have gone against what David Duke's views are. So I think I think we know that. Yeah, I think we know that. <laughs> but it was just it was uh it was a very difficult time for my father, but he would not change it for for the world. Mm. And um he grew a lot as as a as a man and as a person while he was there. So for you growing up, um I guess I, I'm not sure how much of this you remember or how much of this you were around, but like what what kind of impression did that make on you? The struggles that your family had to go through? A great deal. You know, again, like I said, that my dad was never the type, my dad and mom, um, they were never the type to to shy away from speaking truth about the social fabric of America. Um and the things that uh as 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 black people in America we have to especially black men. I I, I was raised with my two older brothers. My sister was born when I was sixteen. So as black men growing up um, we wanted to be educated. We wanted to know that we had to do do things a little little uh, more detailed and, and, and better than everybody else in order to make sure we got certain advantages. And um, you know, we understood what life was about. So uh, again, we t- he told us a lot of stories about what happened back then and and how him going there has set us up for certain situations, but. Mm-hmm. We understood uh, what his sacrifice meant and um, and the legacy that he was trying to leave. So you mentioned the importance of education. I think last time we we spoke, you you mentioned that you were trying to complete your LSATs and and maybe you know go to law school, you know pursue more education there. We also obviously take you take a lot of time out of your day to you know in your involvement with the MBPA. Or are these things all directly related? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think so. You know. Um, I think education is a big piece uh, for for my family. Um, my dad was the first person that's, you know, kind of mentioned to me about going to law school. Mm. Um, he's he's been my dad and mom are both uh, they they pushed me they've pushed me since I was young yeah. in school uh, in everything that I do. My mom has a saying, you know, whatever you do, uh, be the best at it. You know, do it to the best of your ability. So. Um, I definitely think that has, that's resonated with me and, you know, trying to challenge myself, um, you know, at, at, you know, on, on that type of level where, uh, you know, I have to challenge my mind as well as my body is something that I get from my, from my parents. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, speaking to the MBPA in particular, I think um, this is something where, if I understand it correctly, you guys aren't even, it's not like, you're not doing this for compensation. You're doing this no. because you want to represent and advance, um, you know, the players and, and, you know, everything that you guys can do there. And, of course, you just got reelected as well to a new term. Um, you know, I, I think for, for me, the, the question is, you know, this new, the new CBA on, on our end, on the media side, we're still trying to comprehend it. And we're still trying to, like, understand, um, you know, the new nuances that come to have come into it. From what I understand, it does, and I'm, I understand it's a very, very basic understanding, but it's, it's it's almost like a soft hard cap in a way, right? There's a lot of limitations to what teams can do. 
take me through some of the negotiations there in terms of like the players accepting this and some of the you know the push and pull factors as to why you guys agree to certain terms yeah. in this current uh, deal. Yeah. So I mean, the CBA is is crazy long, and I can't yeah. I can't you know uh, lie and say that I've read the entire thing. Um, but the the biggest part is that there were situations where the um, governors, as well as us, we both enjoyed the situ the the area we were in in terms of the amount of money we were bringing in as a league, mm-hmm. where the league was going as a whole. And we wanted to make sure that there were certain things that we wanted, there were certain things that they wanted. Um, we were we had negotiables, you know, non-negotiables that we weren't willing to give up. And, what we, were those and we did not have to give those up. Uh, hard cap, specifically okay, no hard a hard cap. cap. No, okay. no hard cap. At the end of the day, that's one thing that makes our, you know, our league, our players be able to move, be able to do certain things that they want to do. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the players at the end of the day in our game are very recognizable. Mm-hmm. The fans know them. A lot of times in the NBA, you have fans of teams, but nowadays a lot of people are more fans of players totally. than they are of teams. So the NBA understands that. It's a business. They want to keep players happy as well as make it profitable for the for the governors. It's a business as well. Mm. So I think Adam understood that, you know, people talk about players, movement and and players having control. At the end of the day, the players are the product and and, and fans go as as we go. Mm-hmm. Um so the non negotiable main thing was hard cap. Uh uh this was about a year and a half it was two years ago. Um, they they really never pushed on any other non negotiable that we had. Okay. Um, what about the? I think there was talk of like maybe they you know you, you get it back to like you can come straight from high school. Yeah. So the, the, there was talk about that. Um, there's not there wasn't something that the players were pushing crazy. That's not mm-hmm. something that the owners were pushing crazy. Okay. So um, you just left it as it is. Yeah. We left it as is again, and this is something that can easily be revisited. That's the sure. thing about a CBA. There are amendments, so you want to nail down the things that for sure. They want it for sure. We mm. want it. You want that to get nailed down. The other things can always happen. You know, it, it, because the CBA happened a year and a half ago, a year ago, doesn't mean, you know, coming out of high school won't happen until the next CBA. Sure. That, that yeah. can be changed. Got you. Got you. Well, I, I think for, for you as well, I always wanted to ask about just the bubble, right? Because I think that was the time where so much was going on, right? Um, you know, COVID had just like really come on and, and, and there was so much importance and and at that time there was so much like fear as to like is it going to be safe right what are the logistics you guys are all just getting put into this whole thing and i think you spoke out of just a little bit about it i think rightfully so you were a little nervous in terms of just like how it was all going to be um i mean take me through some of those conversations back nah, no question back now that. now you know that was probably the most time i've spent on the phone on zoom um just trying to get a feel for the you know where we're at as as a executive committee we talked at least once a day um and at the same time we were trying to find a new executive director mm-hmm. uh i'm looking at jennifer quinn's walt disney world orlando nba restart badge yeah. and that makes me think about that uh <laughs> she also put this here by the way yeah yeah i'll tell you what that is later <laughs> okay. um but that it, it was it was great conversations right, it was right, great right. to have guys on kyle is not a part of Kyle Lowry is not a part of the mm-hmm. executive committee, but he was on a lot of calls. Just you know, we're getting we're getting feedback from players and teammates because at the end of the day, this is our livelihood. Mm-hmm. Some guys are set for life and didn't need to play another game. Some guys needed 
needed their money. Yeah. Um, some guys were trying to make a team and wanted to get a sure. chance to play. So you have all of that, all of those dynamics on top of the health, whether or not you can get COVID. We never, we didn't understand the long-term effects. We still don't understand the long-term effects of COVID. Mm -hmm. I personally had a, everybody had personal situations. For I sure. personally had a wife that was pregnant at the time. Um, yeah. So, you know, me leaving for two months, three months, some people that have that have kids may say, well, it depends on when you left. That might have been the best time for you to leave so she could be by herself. But not wanting to bring back anything. So yeah. a big thing for me was making sure the bubble, if we did a bubble, that no people could come in without being tested multiple times mm -hmm. because I did not want to bring anything back yeah, to, my, to my wife. Of course. Um, so it was a lot to, to talk about, a lot about the restart, a lot about um, – you know, the money that was going to be taken out, how much money were we going to be able to make at the restart, mm -hmm. how much money have we made up until now because the escrow and, you know, so many so many things that are pretty convoluted that needed to be worked out. And I think, you know, you, you have to applaud, applaud Adam uh, for what he was able to do to get that back and, and applaud us as players for taking that, that chance. Mm -hmm. And I think we were the first... You know, it professional was. team, yeah. professional sports. It was professional sports league to go back and 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 you know, and uh, provide that entertainment at at a time where well, we it was needed. It, yeah, it was needed so that. needed, man. And um, you know, it was needed for us as as well, loving the game. But you know, when I got back home, I definitely watched. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I understood what that respite was. Uh, you know, was able to give people in yeah. a time where. Obviously, there were a lot, of, a lot more things more important than basketball going on. But right. it's always nice to be able to have a little time to ref to just you know lay your head down and, and, and be entertained. Well, I know banter aside. I mean, I know the Raptors. You actually played against the Raptors in that series. I mean, right. people don't remember that Raptors Brooklyn series all that much. I, I want to ask too because this is the most important question I had, and I know that PR is kind of outside right now. I appreciate their patience on this. I think it's an important topic. It was such a – I think it was the NBA in terms of the modern age, we're talking about the last, like, 20, 30 years, biggest moment in terms of NBA players stepping up for activism, right? It was the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, mm -hmm. players uh, boycotting games, you know, essentially a, a wildcat strike by yeah. the yeah. Magic, by the uh, the Bucks, Bucks. Raptors, uh, Celtics. Game one, I remember, they didn't play it on time. They said, we're not going to come – this is this is way too much for us right now. As someone who was in the union at that time, how'd you guys handle that? How'd you guys support the Man. players' rights to do that? No, it was amazing. Um, and not to mention, you know, we talked about all the things union-wise that was going on. We had so much going on, you know, in the world. As you mentioned, George Floyd and and um, others. Uh, so just in general, socially, in the in America. Things were in an uproar, especially for black America. Mm -hmm. And that was another reason why I wanted to, I, I pushed, you know, I was a proponent of us going down there to be able to speak on things that we cared about because people were going to watch. We were going to have more eyes than ever before. And I think guys really took advantage of that. Um, and, you know, a friend of mine, George Hill, was a really big proponent of Milwaukee. Um, uh, not playing that game. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, again, like you said, y'all swept us when I was in Brooklyn, so I was home uh, yeah. when when they set out of their their playoff game. But you know, we were on the phone talking, uh, and we, you know, again, we have a great commissioner that held that allowed us to to do that and found ways around 
uh, us speaking our truth and, and, and um, you know, being able to voice our opinions on certain things and at least get the message out there. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go back to playing, right. but the, at least the message is out there. They understand how we feel about what's going on. And I think that's the biggest thing of what a protest is supposed to do. It's supposed to shed light on something. Yeah. And then after that, there are certain things that you can do. So for us, being able to do what we did in the bubble and create that, um, the monies that, that go towards the certain things they go towards now in terms of minority uh, things, I think that was really big for us. And I, I, I agree with you. It was probably a, a turning point. Yeah, in our I, league. I think, honestly, uh, you know, I guess I've never really thanked an NBA player for doing that, but you guys really, like, stepped up, took command of the situation. And I know there's obviously lots of business partners, everything like that. It's it's not you can act on everything you want to do all the time, but it was a, a real important seminal moment in sports. And uh, I just hope that that same, like, momentum and that engagement can just be like sustained throughout and i'm sure you feel the same way but no question we run out of time uh <laughs> we could talk for a long time about this but <laughs> you know i appreciate you as always man and uh best of luck with the rest of the, the rest of the season maybe we'll have you on again and we'll talk more about this subject. appreciate you my guy